Hello and welcome to Pod Ventures and Odyssey. I'm Tatiana. And I'm Emily. Every week we re-listen to an episode of Adventures and Odyssey and then sit down to recap and discuss. And we're going in album order and we are in album four and we're on episode three, A Matter of Obedience. This is a Tom Riley episode. I know, a young Tom episode. I feel like we don't get any more of these. No, I don't think we do. We get Young Wit. Yeah, I know. It's like Young Wit is like a category of episode, but not so much Young Tom. This is like the only one, in my memory anyway. It's a fun premise for the episode too, because Tom is filling in for Sunday school because Miss Grossman is out sick with the flu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like a premise that we don't normally get, and I honestly was kind of thinking to myself, there's no reason why this wouldn't be a Wits End episode, but there's also no reason for it to be a Wits End episode. I guess if it's a Wits End episode, then you would have Wit playing the role that Tom is playing, so this was uh, an excuse to have Tom playing the role that Wit normally plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not quite at the point in Odyssey where Tom will take over the counter at Wits End. Right. Or has he? Um. Not so much. That's a good question. Was he doing it back when Wit was hiring Connie? Maybe. I know Tom has made jokes about, like, you couldn't pay me enough to work here. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's true. But um, later on, he will, like, fill in. Behind the counter, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're at a Sunday school, and it's like a not a Sunday school class that we have ever been in or ever will be in again. Nope. And the only named child is somebody named Reynolds, and we don't know who he is or what his deal is besides Greek. It's all Greek to me. Tom makes that joke. So basically, Tom comes in to teach the kids about obedience, and Reynolds fills him in on what the class has been learning the previous Sundays, and it's basically just the Greek definitions of obedience or like the Greek vocabulary words. I thought it was really funny hearing them talk about what they've been learning in class, because I'm like, this sounds a lot like just our normal church service, (laughs) in which the original translation of either the Greek or the Hebrew or whatever language the text originally was in factors pretty heavily into the teaching. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, it will be a part of it, but it seems like that is literally the only thing that the children have learned. Right. Which is less than ideal. I think maybe because with children, you have to spend a little bit more time going over something like translation. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's not the place to explain the difference between these different Greek words that get translated the same into English. There's sort of a missed opportunity for the kids to have weird ideas about what obedience is instead of just no idea. Like, they could have thrown out a bunch of different definitions or notions of what it means, and then Tom could sort of use that as a jumping-off point, but instead he has, like, nothing to work with. If we had weird definitions for obedience, what do you imagine kids would think of? What? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, if we were to rewrite this scene... Mm -hmm. Um... Like, what would kids say? They would probably say that you have to do whatever the person tells you. Obedience means that you have to do whatever mommy tells you, no matter what, or something like that. Which I think is kind of the point that he ends up making. Yeah, it's not entirely wrong. Like, it's it's context dependent. Mm -hmm. But 
I mean, obedience does mean complying to what somebody else tells you to do. Yeah. That's not untrue. And maybe that's why, I mean, it's like a fairly simple concept. That's the other thing that's weird about this scene is that Reynolds is 11. Like, this is a Sunday school full of children who are old enough to at least know the meaning of obedience. Yeah, they should know. When, when Tom asks them to talk about it or to, like, illustrate obedience from a Bible story, there's, like, this classroom silence that reads to me more like the way that kids are kind of shy around a new teacher when they don't have, like, a rapport with them, even though they seem to like Tom just fine because you hear, like, the whole classroom reacting to him with, like, hello and laughing at his jokes and stuff. Where he's, like is it okay if I teach you kids? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, well, it wouldn't have mattered what you said anyway. <laughs> yeah, and they all, like, giggle at that. Um, but still, like, there's a different sort of atmosphere when it's like, hi, I'm your teacher. Let's get to know each other. And then asking a question that requires a thoughtful response. I don't know. It can take kids a while to warm up. Or, like, home groups, too. It takes adults a while to warm up to actually answering questions sincerely. You need to allow, like, a number of seconds of silence. Yeah. Eventually somebody will reply. I felt like there wasn't quite enough silence, but maybe that's because of the medium that we're in and mm -hmm. the audience listening to this interaction would have been like, why is it quiet? Why are they still quiet? Yeah, you can't, like, yeah, you can't do a realistic sort of take on this way of leading groups. But... That's why it feels a little bit weird that these kids should at least have some ideas to throw out there. And like maybe it shouldn't be so much about the definition of obedience as it is like the importance of it or something. Because I almost feel like we'll get to it, but like by the end of this episode, the things that Chris said, like it had me thinking about the reason behind obedience more so than just like what does it literally mean to obey somebody. Right. So anyway, we'll get to that later on. Because Tom decides to tell a story. A story about his family living in the country while his dad, the, the country doctor, has many, many things that he needs to do mm -hmm. all at once. Yes, a perfect storm. <laughs> uh, the, the perfect storm, the mom is out of town visiting her mom. And the dad, the country doctor, is needing to deliver medicine to somebody who lives somewhat far away. And then at the same time, he gets a phone call that somebody else is having a baby. So he's like, okay, I need to go help deliver this baby. So my two dear children, you must go deliver the medicine to the lady. Because goodness knows they can't do it the other way around. Oh, goodness knows. <laughs> Thankfully, this is not an episode about two children who are sent to go to help deliver a baby. The dad chose wisely. <laughs> so, first of all, he wants Tom to take his little sister because he doesn't want them being alone, mm -hmm. either one of them. And Becky, Tom's little sister, is like, really? Into the gloomy woods? I don't want to go. <laughs> the dad is like, I have told you not to call it the gloomy woods. They are just regular woods. <laughs> They're just trees. <laughs> I appreciated that. <laughs> woods are scary, though. Yeah. Yeah, she thinks they're full of all kinds of scary creatures. Tom also feels grown up enough to go do this by himself, and he might be, but I feel like it's the sister is too young to leave alone at the house. Yeah. Tom is 11 at this point in the story as well. This is also taking place in the 1930s. It's notable because of technology. Yeah. Becomes vaguely relevant later on. I thought it was funny also, um, 
The dad takes a long time to like explain to his kids all the rules of going to this house and how to get there even though he's in a hurry to the point where he's going to take the horse and not the car because the right. horse will go faster through the country. Yeah, yeah. I imagine the car can only go on the roads and there weren't many roads, but a horse can cut straight across mm -hmm. the wild lands. That makes sense. Also, the horse's name is Bethesda, which like, is fun. Like the company. Well, like the biblical place, or probably. The <laughs> Both named after the same. More notably. Bible town. He shouts, let's ride, Bethesda. <laughs> Uh, let's, uh, it's, it, I guess it's, it's part of the structure of the story, so we'll go over the, uh, rules that Tom is given, which are that he must pack a knapsack full of food, uh, then he must stick to the single path through the woods, and don't take any other paths or shortcuts or anything. Mm -hmm. Be polite to strangers, but don't stop to talk. Uh, do not play around, like, no Tom Riley Robin Hood. Sherwood Forest. Mm -hmm. And uh, stay on the path all the way until you reach the house with the blue door. And don't go to any other door because the people around there are very, what was Suspicious, it? Suspicious, I guess. Yeah. How hard can all of these things be? <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong? Seems easy enough. Oh, also he has to take a pocket knife with mm -hmm. him. Yeah, the dad is just like, here's good advice. Take your pocket knife. And also... He he heads out, and then Becky is like, I'm going to take my book. And Tom is like, oh, dumb books. Don't take your book. We're going on an adventure. And Becky is like, I want to take my book. And Tom is like, oh, fine. <laughs> it's random. But these are like their, like, Chekhov's book and mm -hmm. Chekhov's pocket knife, sort yep. of. They'll become important. Sounds like a weird thing to say if you don't know the Chekhov trope. Oh, but um, Should we explain that? I... To me, it's like such a it, Yeah, it's thing. like a thing that if you put something in the beginning of your story, it had better become relevant by the end. So. Yeah, if there's a gun in Act 1, it'll go off by Act 3. Mm-hmm. So, if you put a little pocket knife in Scene 1, that pocket knife had better become relevant by the end of this Odyssey episode. And so the kids are off. I don't know. They, they are in the woods, and okay, the first thing that I wrote down about being in the, what are they, the gloomy woods? I want to call them the spooky woods. But the gloomy woods, um, there are sound effects, including a screeching sound that sounds like some kind of a bird. What was that? It was just a squirrel. Will you quit being such a sissy? Are you sure? This is like one of those slight mismatch between the dialogue and the audio scaping. Maybe unintentionally humorous. Maybe squirrels do scream. I mean, they can make weird sounds, can't they? Yeah. I'm not super familiar with squirrels. <laughs> there aren't that many of them around here. How many squirrels have you heard scream? I think the number is greater than one. Oh. But less than five. That took me way too long to think of. I didn't think that there would be an answer to that question. <laughs> Becky, of course, because she's scared of everything in the woods, has created these monsters in her mind that inhabit every little nook and cranny, like goblins and trolls and witches and bears. Mm -hmm, One mm -hmm. of these is not like the others. <laughs> she thinks the bears and mountain lions ate all the goblins and elves, and that's why the goblins and elves aren't around anymore. See, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. But uh, they, they, uh, there's a bridge up ahead, and 
Tom is like a bridge and Becky is like, don't tell me that bridges aren't real either. <laughs> Sibling poking fun at each other. Um, but this is where I feel like the structuring of this episode is pretty good, but ever so slightly off because we have a list of five rules and obviously, spoilers, these rules are going to be broken by these children uh-huh. because this is an episode about obedience. Yep. But they are not broken in order that they were given. And I feel like it would have been better if they had been. It's, I think, because this is when he loses the knapsack of food and that's the first thing he's told he needs to bring. Yeah. So it gets combined with a later rule that he mm -hmm. breaks. Yeah, exactly. So the easy fix is just make that later rule, rule number two. Mm -hmm. Don't play around. Mm -hmm. But don't play around is rule number four. This is such a tiny, dumb nitpick of mine, <laughs> but I'm doing it. Well, because the order in which they are given the rules kind of sets you up for, like, okay, so that's the order in which the story is going to progress. Mm -hmm. And when they deviate from that, it kind of throws things a little off kilter. Yes. So, and then there is more that throws me off kilter that will happen in the next scene. But basically, Tom does the thing of playing around on the bridge. And it's like, oh my gosh. Of all the places that he could choose to play around, like, why the bridge? Don't play around on the bridge, I don't know, children. Because it's an interesting, different thing in this <sighs> wood of nothing but trees and paths. And now he's playing balancing act on the edge of the bridge mm -hmm. after his sister is like, it looks like that wood is going to break. <laughs> he's like, it's not, you coward. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he's pretending to be some kind of circus performer. And then, of course, the bridge breaks. And Tom falls and there's a splash, but he is holding on to the edge of the bridge. And the splash was the knapsack. Which he'd been balancing on his head. Mm -hmm. Naturally. And my first thought was, oh no, the medicine. Oh my gosh, I know. That would have been a darker turn for this story. They would have had to, like, chase the medicine down the creek or something. Yeah. That's Becky's first thought, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got the medicine in his coat. But now the bridge troll has their food, so they're going to be hungry. But Tom is pretty confident. He's like, we're going to get there before we get hungry anyway. One to two hours later, they are both starving. Yeah, they're like, no, we were wrong. We're so hungry. And they're complaining out loud to each other when they come across a stranger. Sitting on a log. Mm -hmm. So here we have rule number three. Be polite to strangers, but don't stop to talk. So they try to do that by being really polite to him. And then they try to leave. And he's like, oh, I overheard that you were hungry. I know where you can get food. I got some real... Wolf and into the woods vibes from this guy. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Did you really? Okay, here here's my issue with this scene because here the scene basically goes that yeah he offers to uh, point them in the right direction on a different path because he's like oh you're going to Mrs Sawyer I know how to get there there's a shortcut and you can have food on the way and I will take you there and Tom is like heck yes and Becky is like Tom can I talk to you just for a second and then they argue with each other and Becky is like say the words that dad said and Tom is like oh don't talk to strangers and stay on the path and so he's like okay fine so they refuse this man's offer and thank goodness the man's response is suit yourself which I wrote down is the only acceptable response yep but okay this is what bothers me though is that this breaks the 
the narrative in which they're supposed to break every one of these rules. And they didn't actually break that rule. No, they didn't break the rules. They didn't go on a different path. So, yeah, they did not go on a different path. They did kind of stop to talk to this stranger, but there's ultimately no consequence for that. So it sort of breaks the narrative in two different ways here. Yeah, I think that if this had been uh, structured differently, we would have had the man offering them this and they would have agreed to do it. Mm -hmm. And then Becky would have been like, Tom, come on, this is not right. And either they would have doubled back after going part of the way down the alternate path and gotten Mm -hmm. lost, or the man would have like taken them, given them food, and then like just pointed them in the general direction. Oh, yeah. And and they would have gotten lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I thought of maybe if the man himself got lost and ended up being like a bad guide or something. Yeah. Because obviously we don't want this to take a dark turn and have him be like an evil kidnapper or something. The scariest possible Mm -hmm. result. Yeah, no. So it's like, but there are other ways that they could still break these rules and yet not have something too awful happen to them. But they could have been super delayed and maybe that would have explained why things were worse later on. Mm-hmm. But no, but it's okay. We sound like we're like really criticizing this episode, but I feel like it's because this is an episode that has such a clear narrative structure and I, I do like it. Yeah, I do like this episode too. So, but it makes it kind of actually fun to analyze on like a narrative Scale. Scale? Yeah. A narrative... Level? Basis. Sure. I don't know. (laughs) Makes it fun to analyze the narrative of this story is what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, so after they've parted ways with this man, the... We get some more, like, just description of what's going on as they're traveling, in which they're trying to tell each other stories and play games to help distract them from how hungry they are, but it's not really working. Yeah, all they can talk about is food, but they do finally make it out of the woods, and they find a house, and huzzah, it's the house, says Tom. And Becky is like, but it has a red door, though. And Tom's like, right, it has a brightly colored door. And she's Isn't that like, the point? She's like, but I could have sworn dad said a blue door. And Tom is like, look, it's fine. It's, it's fine. It's like, I'm food. hungry. Yeah, he smells the food. Goodness gracious. There's a thing about the food that I'm going to mention later, too, because it's a thing that bothers me in stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they go up to this door in this notoriously suspicious neighborhood well, it's not a suspicious neighborhood, but a neighborhood of suspicious people. A neighborhood That's not full right of territorial people? I don't know. A neighborhood full of people who are suspicious of strangers. Yes. And they knock on the door and this lady is like, I gotcha. You hooligans? She grabs them by the ears and is like, oh, you are the children who have been ruining my garden and I finally caught you. And they're like protesting but nothing they say will convince her that no. they aren't these awful, wicked children. Mm-hmm. And she's like, a few hours in my basement. Oh, no. In what world has it ever been okay to lock <laughs> to children, children in your basement? In the world of rural America in the 1930s, apparently, because that's where this is all happening. I don't know if that is a true statement, but... Because I'm pretty sure if someone did that today to someone else's children, 
they might go to prison. Yeah, I know. It's kind of funny to think about because she, she's going to put them in her basement so that she can go to a neighbor's house to call the police. But, like, yeah, if that happened today, it would be like, you are the one committing the crime. Yeah. <laughs> These children are children. Oh, dear. Oh. But you know what? It's fine. It's kind of what it comes across, like, to me is, like, communal parenting sort of thing, where it's, like, if you all live in a community together and, like, children misbehave, it's, like, it's okay for, like, your friend's mom to, I don't know, put you in timeout, I guess. This is a very serious timeout. It's extreme timeout. This is hard mode timeout. <laughs> hard mode on life? Uh, but that that is the mid-episode break in which we have, I don't know if you'd call it mortal peril, but it is peril. some kind of peril. I mean, it's mortal peril for Mrs. Sawyer who's going to die without her medicine. Yeah, <laughs> actually, though. We don't know if she's going to die or not, but, like, it's serious enough that the dad had to send his children to her. So, anyway. Implied mortal peril. Yeah. What's going to happen to Tom and Becky? And more importantly, Mrs. Sawyer, who is sick. Mm-hmm. But back from the break, this is where we learn that this mean lady is going to call the police. She doesn't have a phone. This is where the fact that it's, like, 1930s becomes vaguely relevant again, because she doesn't have technology in her house. Mm-hmm. So off she goes to her neighbor's house, and meanwhile, Tom and Becky try a little bit to escape and then give up very quickly, and Tom realizes that he is to blame for all of this. He makes a good apology. Like, he doesn't just say, like, I'm sorry for getting us into this. He's like, wow, my actions led to every problem that we encountered, and it was really dumb of me, and I recognize that now, and I'm sorry. It's a good apology. It was a good apology, and I felt bad because Becky immediately was like, wow, you're apologizing to me. This is a first. And I was like, Becky, this could have been a nice moment in this episode. And instead, Tom's like, well, maybe I won't ever do it again. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's more realistic because they're children children and siblings. But the, they are trying to figure out how they can get out. And then Becky has an idea based off of a radio play called The Shadow in which they picked a lock with a pocket knife. Yes. And Tom doesn't think that he can do it. But then he has a slightly adjacent idea, and he needs a page of Becky's book, and he tears one out, and then what he does is he sticks his knife through the lock and pushes the key out, because the key has been left in this doorknob on the other side. And this is when it also becomes relevant that this is 1930s, because locks worked differently in yes. that era. says Tom. Says Tom, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh... So he pushes it out and then it falls onto the paper that he has slid under the door and he can slide the paper back through. And then he can unlock it from the inside mm -hmm. using the key. Ta-da! And ta they escape! Ta-da! <laughs> Run away! <laughs> get the heck out of this lady's house! So they, they get like not like one hill over and they find a house with a blue door and then Tom feels even worse because he's like, wow, it was literally right here. And Mr. Kennedy is waiting there with, like, a whole full-course meal for them that they cannot eat. Yeah, it's like, that is a bummer. Yeah. So I guess that's part of the consequences for them dilly-dallying. 
but I feel like the basement is mostly to blame for them being that late. Yeah. So they go straight to the house. Yeah, which I thought Mrs. Sawyer's house was going to be the blue house. I did too. But I mean, and maybe the kids did too, but no, it was somebody who was expecting them. Takes them to Mrs. Sawyer's house and who should be there? Lo and behold, it's the mean lady who imprisoned them. Agatha all along. That's what I was thinking too. Because this lady's name is Agatha, we now learn. And she is there at Mrs. Sawyer's house to call the police. Like, that's the friend that she went off to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she learns that the, these are the doctor's children, she feels terrible. She's like, oh, Dr. Riley is such a great man. Like, oh, no, why didn't you say you were his children? It's like, they did literally try to tell you that you were taking the wrong children prisoner. Yeah, but, but I guess they didn't follow the rules of tell them that you're my children, so. Oh, yeah, that was also, like, an instruction. Um, but... Mr. Kennedy also points out, if they were the hooligans who were vandalizing your garden, why would they come knocking on your door? Like, think. All a big misunderstanding, and Tom mm-hmm. and Becky are quick to forgive her. Yeah, they are, and uh, they she feeds them, and they have delivered the medicine, huzzah. And that's the end of the story mm-hmm. part of the story. I kind of thought that their dad was going to be there or something. I, I don't too. know why I thought that. It just, like, was... It seemed like the kind of twist you expect at the end of an obedience episode. Somehow. So the, the person you were disobeying is there at the end? Yeah, that you have to confront that very person. Maybe that's why it feels like it doesn't quite end in the spot that you would think. You would expect it to end when the dad shows up later to make sure that they made it. Yeah, we never get to see them having to reckon with their disobedience or talk to their dad about it or see his reaction what he chooses to do and say mm-hmm. in response to this. So I feel like, yeah, maybe the episode is kind of missing something, but we can get to that because back in the classroom, Tom finishes the story. And explains how he should have trusted his dad to know what was best for him and obey him, just like you should do the same with God. Mm-hmm. And uh, Reynolds' question to Tom is just like, which Greek word for obedience do you think that this story was talking about? And Tom is like, what's Greek for class dismissed? (laughs) Which is a really great episode ending line and a great Tom line. It made me really wonder if he got through to any of these kids, because we never hear them respond. Yeah, disappointingly. It's like, that's what you got out of this, Reynold? I mean, it's supposed to be a comedy beat, but at the same time, it's worrying. I would hope that he got something out of it more than just Hupaku or whatever the other one was. Yeah, the two, they're very similar sounding Greek words. Chris just has a little bit to add about, like, you want to obey your parents, but best of all, God. And we want to obey because we want to and not because we have to. And that obedience is, like, in the Bible, equated with loving God. Like, obedience to God, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think we can say more about that as we discuss the whole, like, message and everything of this episode. So shall we do discussion questions mm-hmm, today? Yeah let's, yeah, let's use that to guide our thoughts and discussion. All right, there are three questions. First question. Why do you think Tom and Becky so quickly disregarded their father's instructions? 
Okay, here's the thing. Becky doesn't quickly no. disregard the instructions. No, she doesn't. So it's weird that the question frames it that way. I don't think she ever does. No, she's the, like, moral compass character. Oftentimes in stories about obedience, you have to have two people so that you can see the dichotomy in reaction and in consequences. And or you have, like, the one who wants to be obedient but who gets dragged along into the consequences of the person who is disobedient, mm -hmm. which is the case in this story. But yeah, Becky doesn't, like, ever disregard her father's wishes, and so I don't know why the question is, like, throwing her under the bus this way. <laughs> Poor Becky. Mm-hmm. Becky doesn't deserve. But why does Tom disregard so quickly? It doesn't seem like he thinks there will be consequences for his actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's sort of been like a little bit of a theme lately in Odyssey episodes of kids feeling like they are adult enough to do things. Yeah. Like there was a Jimmy episode with that and a, a Lucy episode where Lucy's friend felt like she was grown up enough to do stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, what is it with 11 year olds and thinking that they're grown up enough to do things? They can do some things within reason, but, like... Tweens is, like, a weird time in life. Mm-hmm. Because you're not a small child anymore, but also... Not even a teenager. Mm-hmm. So you, like, don't have an excuse to be angsty, <laughs> but you also don't feel like a child even though you are one. Bummer. Real bummer. Yeah, I guess he, he probably, either he doesn't think he's going to be caught because his dad is not there, and then also that obviously things will not go poorly for him. So I guess he just doesn't believe his dad when his dad tells him what is the best course of action. Yeah. That kind of ties into, like, the definition of obedience. Mm-hmm. Which is our third question. Oh, skipping ahead. <laughs> okay, what's the second question? Why does God ask us to be obedient? <laughs> Explain, Explain God! God. <laughs> A category of discussion question we have come to find in the Odyssey Wiki. I think it's like, like the same reason that God asks us to do a lot of other things. It's like, it's because doing what he's asked us to do will lead to better lives for us and also like closer relationship with him and it's a way to demonstrate our love for him and for each other mm -hmm. and not only better lives for us and but better lives for the people around us and everybody mm -hmm. it's better all around i guess because that comes down to the character of god which is what you were saying the third question is can you explain and define obedience and what does it mean to you? Hmm. Oh, okay. So it's like, yeah, these are all kind of becoming the same question that we're talking about right now. Yeah. It's like, if you believe that God is perfectly loving and all-knowing, like as in having perfect information, then being obedient to him is the best possible thing that you can do, like by definition. So that, that's, I feel like that's why it makes sense to obey God. But it requires that you believe these things about God. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't believe that he has your best interest at heart, 
why would you mm -hmm. obey him? Which I guess is why Tom makes the parallel with his dad, who, as someone who is, like, a good father figure in his life, mm -hmm. does have his son's best interests at heart and has more knowledge than he does as a full-grown adult. And that is why it would have been really nice to have a scene between Tom and his dad at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so that you can actually see a parallel between God's response to disobedience or something. I don't know, maybe that, maybe the writers felt like that would have brought the episode over time. Yeah. Complicated it too much? There really isn't a lot to say about this episode. No, it's... It's simple and effective as a, like, cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've talked about, like, that it could have done more and been tighter as a narrative. But, I mean, it's overall, it's fun. I said that so unenthusiastically. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. It's not my, like, top favorite episode of all time. But it's a perfectly good episode. Mm -hmm. We don't really get more of its type. Yeah, I think what I just wish is that the parallels between God and, like, the logic regarding God's character had been more the subject of the episode, rather than just seeing disobedience and consequences for it. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, what if Tom's dad had given them bad advice, then suddenly disobeying somebody actually makes sense to do but it's because it's grounded in the character of the dad. Mm -hmm. I guess that's sort of a taken-for-granted type thing in a story like this. Yeah. You must take for granted that the parents are going to be good, wise people. I think that's often taken for granted in a lot of Odyssey stories, especially. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we've discussed previously. And a lot of fairy tale type stories yeah or like morality tales mm -hmm. that this is so clearly paralleling it does feel very red riding hood mm -hmm. would have been fun if it had been more parallel i don't know how that could have been though if the log man was a bad man <laughs> the log man never trust the log man never confuse a log man with a lumberjack <laughs> That sounds like such a weird saying. What does it mean? Like, if it weren't for the context of this episode, what would that phrase mean? One man's log man is another man's lumberjack. No, a lumberjack cuts down trees. A log man just sits on them after they've been chopped down. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of that conversation is going in the episode, <laughs> but... You don't want to keep that? No. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're like half-heartedly riffing on Logman. So guys, email us about the time that you were locked in a basement by a stranger. <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I thought you were going to say email us about a time that you disobeyed your parents and what were the consequences. I thought about that one. Very briefly. Okay, well, you you do it then. Tell me about a time that you were locked in a basement. <laughs> well, I had lotion on my hands, so I couldn't get the door open. <laughs> that counts. And I wasn't so much put there as you, I locked myself. You put yourself there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was unfortunate. Disobedient to the laws of wisdom. <laughs>
How about you? <laughs> the thing is, I feel like I have been locked somewhere, but I actually don't know if I have or if it's just like a dream thing that happens to people. I mean, I've been locked in many places. Mostly of my own folly. Mm -hmm. And of course, the one time in Germany that I got locked onto the second story of the music building mm -hmm. above the winery. Mm -hmm. That's because I forgot the key. And the cleaning lady came and locked me in. I don't think I've ever been locked in anywhere. I think that was the scary thing about the door in Germany, though. Because, like, you would think you'd be able to open it from the inside. Uh-huh. You are wrong. Do you just, like, kind of feel like, because you're an adult at that point, being in college, and you're just like, this isn't a thing that happens to adults. Like, yeah. I didn't just get locked into this room. And then you just slowly realize that you're locked into this room. Until you look at the window and you think, this opens all the way. <laughs> There's a balcony adjacent to this. There is a way. Throw my bag onto the balcony and then I followed quickly after. Not realizing there was a spider web covering, like, the entirety of the window. Of course, then I also had to contend with the gate because the gate was also locked. Which meant I had to, like, jump over it in full view of all the people on the street and then walk 20 minutes back to our building to get the key so I could walk 20 minutes back with the key so I could get my bike out. Hmm. I guess in a way that was disobedience. I, it was more forgetfulness than disobedience, though, because you were supposed to bring the key with you every time you went to the music building. Ah, uh, yes. It relates. Yeah, at our school, if you uh, had to have the RA unlock your room for you, it cost you a dollar. Because they were like, you're responsible for your room and your room key. We're not going to unlock it for you for free. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Audience, you don't have to email us about when you've been locked in the basement. Yes, they do. <laughs> we said so. Okay. Forget it then. You do have to tell us. Please. It's mandatory if you're a listener of this podcast. That you email us every week at podventuresinodyssey at gmail.com. Or if you don't have an email, you can always find us on Reddit, where r slash podventuresinodyssey. Next week, join us for episode four, A Worker Approved. As always, thank you for joining us on this Podventure and Odyssey. Catch you later, cat's paws! As always, thank you for joining us on this Podventure and Odyssey. Catch you later, cat's paws. Logman. <laughs> I don't know. Bye. <laughs> I was trying to think of something else to say. Another catch you later, cat's paws. Yes, and I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> oh my God. So I just said the first thing that was in my brain. <laughs> You need silence. The thing about Catch You Later Cat's Paws is that it's like a, a full phrase. <laughs> Whereas Logman is just... A Logman is not a lumberjack. <laughs> and as always, a Logman is not a lumberjack. <laughs> that is not sticking around. <laughs>